Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Om Shanti, everyone. Welcome to The Next Normal in collaboration with America Meditating Radio. I'm your host, Sister Jenna. Hopefully, you've been very much keeping yourselves out of trouble. I know as things start to open up here in the United States of America, it seems as if we're trying to go back to an old way. I don't think it's possible, though, and I don't think we should. We've already gone through enough for the last year and a half. The question is, why do I want to roll over a lot of stuff that was happening to me before that year and a half? And when we look back at our lives, maybe it was also for good. Maybe it was a gift in disguise. However traumatic and just awful it was, it might have been a gift, a gift that helped me to get on the path to help many others. Maybe it was a gift to help me to recognize how powerful love is. Maybe it was a gift for me to move further away from myself, only to come full circle. My special guest today is Michael Anthony. Michael Anthony has experienced tremendous amounts of trauma in his life. And as a child, he grew up in an abusive household, which led to drug and alcohol abuse by even age 12. Homeless and an overall lack of stability, Mike has seen it all. But throughout his teen years, he ran with the gangs, he used drugs, he stole cars, he broke into houses just to survive and maybe also to just try to find who he was. Today, Michael is an entrepreneur, best-selling author, international speaker, coach, and advocate for adult survivors of childhood trauma and abuse. He's been called the Tony Robbins of trauma and spends his time helping other survivors get out of the vortex to become the hero of their own story and to bring their lives back. Michael is the author of the best-selling book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma. He hosts both the Michael Unbroken and Think Unbroken podcast and blogs weekly at thinkunbroken.com. Please welcome Michael Anthony to The Next Normal. Hi, Mike. Thank you for joining us today. Hi. Thank you so much, my friend. And thank you for the amazing introduction. It's an honor to be here with you. When I heard about you and the first thought went to my mother and being orphaned at seven, and the traumatic upbringing that she had. And one of the core reasons why I admire my mother so much is the fact that she could have endured so much and did a big turnaround, one, that's a big thing. The second thing is, how in the world did that woman protect me from the abuse that she endured? I have no idea. And when you as a soul are navigating through experiences as a child, And you know, you never know what the language is. You just get used to it, right? You just think that's how it's supposed to be. Even though your gut instinct inside feels, my mother's not supposed to do this to me. It's not supposed to be this way. We sometimes end up feeling we're too young. We can't fight for it. So congratulations to you for overcoming. Here's my rose to you, my brother, Michael. 
thank you for overcoming your stuff because far too long, so many of us keep blaming, blaming, and we just keep going down that downward spiral, you know, but you didn't. What pulled you up, Michael Anthony? What was that thought or that moment in your life that you said, I am done. There's got to be more to me than this. Yeah. Well, and thank you so much. One of my mentors literally just said, Michael, sometimes you need to take your flowers. So I'm accepting this. And thank you so much. That's so meaningful. The the universe is very interesting sometimes. I want to be clear. I hit rock bottom. I went down that path. I saw the darkness. I existed within it. I suffered all that a human being can suffer, not only by hands of others, but by my own. And one morning I woke up and I went into the bathroom and I was looking at the reflection of myself in the mirror and I was 350 pounds, smoking two packs of cigarettes a day, drinking myself to sleep. And I was effectively in what I call the vortex, just that rock bottom. And I remembered for the first time this moment being eight years old and We were often homeless and impoverished, and the water company, they had come to our home and they turned off our water, right? Now, I grew up in Indianapolis. I grew up in America. Imagine being so poor, they turn your water off because my mother was using that money for drugs, and my stepfather was often, like, gone. And I took this little blue bucket that I had in the backyard that we used to play in, this little makeshift sandbox that we had, and I went across the street to the neighbor's house, and I turned on their spigot. And for the first time I stole. And in that moment, I recall, I promised myself, Michael, when you're a grown up, this won't be your life. And in that moment of reflection, staring in the mirror, looking at a face that I didn't know or understand, I had this memory recalled and this overwhelming sense of, at the time, what I felt like was shame, but in reality became acknowledgement of recognizing that I wasn't living up into the potential that I had to be the man that I wanted to be. And in that moment, I asked myself, Michael, what are you willing to do to have the life that you want to have? And the words, no excuses, just results began to reverberate in my brain and became this thing where it consumed me. And in the moment, I didn't know what it was going to lead to. And I never expected 11 years later, I'd be sitting here talking to you But it became this mantra, this battle cry to go and take care of yourself. Do something you've never done before and put yourself first in a healthy, undestructive way. Now, of course, there's a tremendous amount of work that comes on the backside of that acknowledgement. Therapy, group therapy, EMDR, CBT, all the alphabet, right? And then it's getting coaching and therapy and getting serious about life and learning and being in the rooms with people who could help me understand not only trauma, but what it means to love yourself. At 26, 27 years old, I realized I didn't have self-esteem. I didn't know who I was. I was lost in the world. And, And through a hero's journey of just really acknowledging that the only way you create life that you want to have that you're proud of is through community, connection, and commitment. And through stepping into that many years later, I'm privileged and dare I say blessed to be able to be a voice for change in a world that wants to hide from the reality that 83% of adults are impacted by childhood trauma, and yet we sweep it under the rug. So I believe that life is very serendipitous and that the universe puts you where you're supposed to be, though sometimes you have to quiet yourself and run with it. And effectively, that's what I've done. And I didn't sign up for this job, but I don't know what else to do because why else all the suffering? Why else all the crying myself to sleep as a child and being in this position where 
I watched my friends go to prison, my family go to prison, my three childhood best friends have been murdered, and yet somehow, like, I made it through that. And to not step into the potential, once I recognized that it was there, I felt like would be a disservice not only to myself but to the world. Let's talk to that part of you where I'm sure you must have had many internal occasions whereby you wanted to step out of the smoking of the cigarettes, the drinking yourself to bed, the gaining another pound to add to your 300-pound dilemma, etc. And there must have been times when you're like, I just want to stop, but you couldn't. Was it because that deep desire in you to wake up from this nightmare, it was a consistent theme in your head? It had to have been. Because how else would you have gotten the strength to just decide one day, I'm done? And the reason why I'm asking this from you is that so many people in the world have been in that position, you know, that feeling that they're just so down on themselves and everybody who loves them tells them how to break through and they just look at you with that gaze. But you can see everything inside of them is like, I don't even know how to do it. What was that thing that started you to come out of that coma, so to speak? Yeah, that's actually an amazing analogy because it's very much what it is. As a child, I would literally lay in bed at night and cry and pray to God, spirit, universe, somebody help me escape this. The freezing cold nights with no heat, the blistering hot summers with no water, not having money for school lunch and having to steal, the being left alone and abandoned, all of those things I would lay in bed at night. And just be like, somebody come and rescue me. And the, the hard truth about life and what I went through was that I was afraid to face the reality that no one's coming to rescue you. That doesn't mean that people don't love you, people don't care for you, and that people don't want to be there to support you. But nobody lives for you. Nobody loves for you. And you have to be willing to step into the arena, understanding that it's going to be a difficult battle. And what brought me out of it was just understanding that on my deathbed, whenever that may come, I didn't want to live with regrets because I allowed other people to dictate what I was capable of. And my biggest fear is that I would die and, you know, whether it's God, spirit, universe, whatever's next, there's this moment in between as a transition where someone looks at you and go, you didn't live for what you were meant to live for. And that, I got goosebumps talking about it. it. It terrifies me because the difference between what I believe to be success and failure in life is just simply taking one step. And every part of this journey started with one step. And first it began with acknowledgement. And this is not culpability, but instead looking at your life and saying, yeah, some bad things happen. Some dark things happen. And then from there, assessing like what are the parameters of acceptability in which you want to live your life? Who was it that I want to be? Because I didn't know who I was. The only thing I knew is who I wasn't because it had been berated into me. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not capable enough. No one loves you, so on and so forth. And then building myself up through doing incredibly difficult things, like getting in shape, quitting smoking, quitting drinking every single day, like going to therapy and being honest. The most important thing is I asked for help. I said, I can't do this alone. Because all the years of doing it alone had led me to that rock bottom moment. I was terrified to be seen. I was terrified of vulnerability because of judgment and shame and guilt. And what I found was that within the framework of the right connections and community, 
you can garner love and acceptance and hope and power and leverage other people's experiences as guides and markers to what is next in your life. And it all begins with that first moment in which you say, yeah, this happened. whole aspect of self-honesty is the first step towards the path of healing. Now, in some religious traditions, they talk about being born with original sin, like we're just born broken. And imagine, Michael, thinking that you're just broken all the time, then aren't you going to behave in a broken way? Your best-selling book is say, well, you know what? My recommendation, think on broken, because I've been through the brokenness. And if I keep feeding it, I don't know how many more pieces I can be diced into. So tell us a little bit about the inspiration in the book and the title, Think Unbroken. I love that. Yeah. What you think becomes what you speak. And what you speak becomes your actions. And your actions become your reality. And if it's true, which I believe it is, that we are the stories that we tell ourselves. If your narrative is you are not enough, then would that not hold true? And what happened is I was laying in bed one night. It was three o'clock in the morning, just this very sleepless night five years ago. And I thought to myself, why is it that when people have faced adversity, they're labeled societally as broken? I never felt broken. I felt lost. I felt hopeless. I felt not loved. I felt unsupported. I never felt broken. That's not how I think that because I've had so much resiliency in my life to lead to this moment, to pull myself through poverty, through obesity, through addiction, through things that most people could never understand. And I said to myself, I'm not broken. That's not how I think. And like a light bulb or shower moment, it literally became think unbroken because so much of the way that we exist within the context of this world begins with the words that we share within ourselves. And some of us say things that if we said to other people in which we say to ourselves would get you arrested, you would literally go to jail. (laughs) And yet you would allow yourself to speak to yourself that way. And I stepped into this understanding that some things in life, there is no room for gray area. And I believe that one of those areas in which life is very binary, yes or no, is in the way that we converse with ourselves. And I decided, and this is the same thing that I share with people constantly, is I am the kind of person who is kind to themselves. And that is a non-negotiable. That's not always easy, especially when you learn that you are responsible for being in a particular vortex, but that you can also be responsible for getting out of a particular vortex. You talk about this in the book about really stepping in or out of a particular vortex. Could you elaborate more on what you mean by the whole energy of vortex? I look at it as a pattern. You know, I've gotten myself into a particular pattern of belief system or thinking or even doing things. We just relocated to a new property about a month and a half ago. And I'm still trying to acclimate myself, you know, and I'm like, okay, now this is how it is. And I was realizing how, Sometimes when you get out of vortexes, Michael, almost as if you're trying to force yourself to go back to an old one, even an old one that you know you didn't even like anymore anyway. So tell us a little bit about this whole conversation of vortex and how do we get into a vortex and how do we get out of a vortex if we happen to be stuck in one we don't want to be in? Yeah, that's a phenomenal question. I define the vortex as that dark place within us in which we're not showing up and living into 
our beauty, our authenticity, our power, our capability. It's in the negative self-talk. It's in the not showing up for ourselves. It's in the not following through and doing the things that we said we were going to do. It's in that moment when you're laying in bed at night and you're consumed by this thing that you promised yourself that you would do that you know inherently will change your life, but you're so terrified of it, and yet you want it so badly. And that applies across the board. And when you're in that place, it impacts every other aspect of your life. And then suddenly eight years goes by and you're still thinking about that thing or still doing that thing and still not living into it. And people ask me all the time, well, how do you get out of it? The answer is very simple. Action. Create change. Change only happens when you make change happen. There is no Disney moment. No one's going to magically make your life better. It's going to require you doing something difficult and making a hard choice and decision. But your life can literally change like that. It's instantaneous within the framework of choice. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen immediately because you will still have to follow through, right? You chose to move, yes? You're in this new location. You're reacclimating. You are now going through a new assimilation process, and it will take a little bit of time for that to become your new normative level. But you made a choice. You created an action. Thus, your life is now different. And people are terrified of the other side of action because of potential. Because we've been embedded and ingrained with this idea of not being enough or deserving so. And I question, who dictates that? Who has the determining factor in whether or not it's true that you are or are not enough other than you? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, how you feel about yourself is more important than anyone's opinion. Because the truth is, some people don't like you, and that's the truth and reality of life. But what does that have to do with you stepping into being the person that you're capable of being? Everyone, I hope that you'll agree with this, and I believe that many people may, at the end of the day, you have a choice to make. And when you step into following your gut, your heart, your intuition, you'll never be wrong. It doesn't mean you won't make mistakes, but you're not going to know what you're capable of without doing so. One of the hardest things about coming through and creating change in your life after surviving traumatic experiences is that we have learned to not trust our intuition because someone else has interjected what the resulting factors are that happen when you do. And this can look like being four years old and someone abusing you or seven and coloring outside of the lines or 12 and someone says that thing in passing. And because our bodies, our brains are meant to thrive and survive, we create autonomic responses that turn off stepping into our gut reaction and intuition because our experience has been when we do, there's a ramification. The hardest part about that as you step into adulthood is recognizing that maybe that's not true. Um, interesting. Remember when we were children, how our intuition was so amplified and acute? And as life takes us through experiences that sort of go against what we teach in Raj Yoga Meditation, that the original nature of the soul is love and peace and purity and truth and joy. As children, we know that. Whether we were given it or not, intuitively we know what pure love feels like. We know what pure joy is. It can be just playing with a milk carton on the street. If you don't even have a toy, you'll find so much joy in it. But as we get older, intuition wanes. It's still there, but it wanes. Do you have any steps in how as adults, despite all of our trauma and all of the stuff that we've been through, something that we can tap into trusting more our intuition or 
bringing it more back to life. Because I think it's really important now more than ever. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it will always continue to be the most important thing because it's difficult, not only because of the pressures of society, but because of the judgment. We then invoke ourselves with shame and guilt. Oh, maybe they won't like my jacket or my hair or the way I exist or the car I drive or how I speak or my accent. And then we start trying to create this framework in which we fit in. And because of that, we are a communal species. Part of that is survival, and it's embedded in us by our nature. It begins with trusting yourself. You know better than anyone else what you should be doing. And the most difficult part about that is taking that first step. And within that acknowledgement, trying and saying, maybe it won't be so bad. Maybe I can do this. Maybe I am capable. But you have to believe it first. And when your gut responds and it says your intuition, your heart calls you to do something, do it despite what other people say. Because people will always tell you to limit yourself, to not step in your potential. This is something that happens out of fear, right? This is a big word that I think we need to talk about more in society as a whole, is that fear can often be this catalyst for destroying your life. But when faced, it can also make your life beautiful. I face fear every day. I'm scared every day. Every time I step into a conversation like this, every time I write a book, every time I coach someone, every time I get on a stage and I share the message, fear. But whose voice is going to be bigger? The voice of this moment and trusting that I know that I'm making the right choice and decision for my life or the fear that other people have laid within me and on me saying, you know what? Who do you think you are? Well, I'm Michael, and I believe in myself. I believe that the world will see what we have to offer when we are willing to offer it. But you have to be willing to take the risk. Thank you. I have to say that I've had the privilege and the fortune of being around a pretty good number of folks who I have observed their fear factor is quite low. I can't speak on behalf of them, but by watching them over a long period of time, I've seen how they address many, many circumstances and situations. And I've found that I can be afraid of a turtle, but I'm bold in front of a fox. I can be afraid of my mother, but I'm absolutely fearless in front of my dad. Why is it that fear somehow knows how to navigate what to be afraid of and what to confront? I've often found that quite fascinating, Michael. It's almost as if fear knows you so well that it knows where to feed its energy from versus where it cannot. Are you able to speak a little bit on that? Have you noticed that for yourself? Yeah, I actually really love this question. If you believe this to be true, which I do, that our DNA carries the history of our ancestors and that our ancestors, when in the wilderness, had to be prepared and alert and that the stick on the ground would create this response to put us into this fight or flight state because it could actually have been a snake. And you carry that with you through generations. You have now been prepared for survival. And if, again, these things that become points of data that we reference within the nomenclature of our existence, hold true that our protective mechanisms that are then reinforced by actual data, then the hypothesis which you're laying out, which I totally agree with, that 
I will be scared of certain people or others not because of history. And so within that, I think that you're spot on. Now, the hard part is when you have that history, you have that understanding, then you're faced with this really perplexing question, which is, well, what's your excuse now? Excuses can really get you into trouble, I tell you. Yeah. And that's hard, right? Because we have the ability every single day to look at that fear and assess it. And I don't know, and I agree with you, and I cannot speak for anyone but myself. I don't know anyone who hasn't faced fear. Every single day we face fear. Getting in the car is terrifying when you understand the ramifications of one mistake, right? There's always something on the other side. But fear can also be about the good thing, right? Fear can be about asking that person to marry you. Fear can be about quitting the job. Fear can be about moving to the new home. Fear can be about the little incremental and granular changes that you have to make within your life to ultimately become the person that you know that you're capable of being. But when you think about it and you sit with it and you allow this to ruminate the idea of your potential, are you really going to let fear get in your way? Or are you going to step into it, acknowledge it and say, yes, it's there. I don't hide from the fear and run from it. What value does it bring me? But through acknowledging and saying, yes, I am scared, but I'm not going to let that stop me. And I reach out into my community for support and I say, hey, can anyone help me here? Can anyone offer me assistance or guidance? I still am the one ultimately who has to create the action. I'm the one who still must create the change. But within that acknowledgement and the community and connection, but more so the commitment to seeing it through, special things can happen. Indeed. A question while you were talking, it kept coming up again and again in my consciousness to ask you, have you ever thought, Michael, what it feels like to live fearlessly where there's no fear in your consciousness? And I mean, you could be driving the car and then you had to put your foot on the brake immediately because something crossed it, but your heart's not beating. You're like, I'm going to put my foot on the brake so the car will stop. Go on, chicken. Like, you know, when you're just totally fearless, you ever have an idea of what your spirit would feel like? I mean, I was just thinking it as you were speaking, and I felt like my spirit would be so clean. It's like I could fly. I could walk through a door if I wanted to and not feel the walls. I would be so fearless. I mean, what would it feel like to you if you were to assess it? If you, the soul of Michael Anthony, had absolutely no fear in him, what would you be like? This is the most fascinating question I think anyone's ever asked me. So first, thank you for that. My response is actually kind of the polar opposite of yours. And this is what's so fascinating about being a human being is that we're all so different. And that leaves so much space for interpretation. And that proves further that no one is right or wrong except you trust what's true for you. And my response came, if there's no fear, are you truly living? Because I think about what's on the other side of the actions that you have to take in this, for lack of a better phrase, blue ocean experience where there's nothing there but whatever you want to create. But it's on the other side of that fear. And I can see your point, too. And it's really fascinating because now I'm thinking about it deeper. And maybe it's the same thing, just contextualized differently because you said freedom and I see freedom. Because we're looking at how even post-pandemic, the fear still exists. World leaders are all afraid of losing their positions. Folks in their marriages are afraid of walking away with nothing. 
children are afraid of the future because they're watching how adults have become a mess in the game of it all. When I try to dissect fear, my very good friend Bill Bennett has just produced a new movie called Facing Fear. And it just feels like time I look at fear, I see something closed and you come and you want to open me up. And I'm afraid of that and ready to welcome the world with open arms. It's quite a conversation, I have to say. Think about this. The first time you do anything is scary. The first time you ride a bike, the first time you hold someone's hand, the first time that you take the exam in school, the first time you get the job that you always wanted to get, the first time you do anything ever, because it's the first time. I never learned how to do anything until I learned how to do it. And so what I often think about is, can you look at that and understand that and hold on to that and recognize that the environment that you're in very likely wants you to succeed and leverage that and step into it. Because the bike analogy is so simple, but it's so true. The first time that you rode it, your mother or father, your neighbor, whoever it was, was behind you holding on to the bike, even though it had training wheels on it, so that you could step through the fear. But also it was exciting, right? Think about how exciting sometimes facing that fear can be. And then eventually you take the training wheels off, but you fall. And you say, but I'm so excited about riding this bike. I'm willing to fall again. And then you ride it and you ride it and you ride it. And forever later, you become proficient. And then much like hitting the brakes on the car when the chickens are coming across the street, your heart doesn't pound anymore because now you understand what it's like to be the driver of your life. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about, it's interesting Fear comes to give us an opportunity to check if I'm living my life thinking in a really positive way or if I've been feeding a negative mindset. And let me explain what I mean. If I'm positive and I know I'm going to see through and I know I might fall and I know I'm going to get back up, I don't think there'll be that much of that element of the fear. But if quietly my private thoughts are in doubt about my potential, my quiet thoughts are that I think you're going to figure me out. I'm not enough. My quiet thought is I might lose you. You know, all of these thoughts we're not in touch with until the situation emerges and it comes face to face with us and tests us. Then we can identify how much of that kind of thinking we've been feeding based on the level of fear that we're experiencing. I think really there's something very powerful about this conversation right now. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you entirely, but also so much of that, those limiting self-beliefs, right? That's so much in our head. We create our environment. For a moment, I want you to think about this. Has there ever been something that you thought in your head, I want to create and bring to fruition into the world? And it took you months, years, maybe even decades to do, but you just did not stop thinking about it. You did not stop creating it here in your mind. And then you step forth into the world with the action to make it come to pass. And you sat within it and it was your reality. The power of your mind is so incredibly potent, especially in the face of fear. And if you're willing to see how far you can truly go, again, there, what's to stop you? Absolutely. Well, I'm known to be very courageous. So... <laughs> I'm happy to continue with this conversation, but I want to go back with your book, Think Unbroken. Did you remember how you felt, Michael, when you were done with that last sentence in the book? Did you remember what 
transpired in your spirit? Yeah, I do actually. It was, and I'll never forget, I was laying in bed typing. I was living in Bali at the time and an earthquake had happened that morning. And I was thinking to myself, if I don't finish this now and there's another earthquake that could be bigger than the one we just had, then maybe I don't finish this ever. And I made it a mission in that day. I was like, I'm going to finish this today. And when I was done, I felt this immense sense. I want to use the word freedom, but that's not probably the right word as much as it is pride. Because I told myself I was going to do it. And even though, here's what's really interesting. Again, to my point earlier, you have to create your life. Hundreds of agents turned that book down. Hundreds. And they said, the world doesn't want to talk about this. And I said, I know. That's why I'm writing the book. And in that moment, the sense of pride that I felt for honoring myself and doing the thing that I said I was going to do because I felt in my heart that this was the book that I needed 11 years ago. And because of that, I made it my mission to create it. And just this overwhelming sense of freedom and pride came from stroking that last word. I love that. I love how you didn't listen to those agents and you listened to your personal feelings. Like you said, each person has a different interpretation about things. And I'm so glad that you didn't listen to them. So as you continue to navigate your life, what's your relationship with the divine right now? Are you finding yourself having a private, intimate relationship? I know since the pandemic, my personal relationship with God has transformed itself into, wow, I know how powerful you were before, but now figure out you're even more greatly powerful than I could have ever imagined. And I'm seeing how mystically the energy of God is working through me as a vibration and with the people around me as well. Has anything been emerging for you in terms of your relationship with the divine during the yeah. pandemic or even as we're getting out of it? I think that relationship for me will always be within this ebb and flow. Growing up and, and being a member of the Mormon church growing up, I saw the best and worst of people. And I saw what I would call the best and worst of God and spirit or universe. And, and as I've stepped through my life and many, many times just sat with it and said, God, spirit, universe, right? Whoever it is, someone please just in this moment, send me guidance, help me leverage. I'll give you a perfect example. A few weeks ago, I was speaking on one of the biggest stages I've ever spoke on, sharing about Think Unbroken and childhood trauma and trying to create change in the world and my mission to end generational trauma through expansion of education and in my lifetime. That's my goal. And I, the night before, I sat, closed my eyes, and aloud I said, how am I supposed to deliver this message tomorrow? And like a lightning bolt, I have no other way to phrase this. Immediately I knew what I was supposed to do. And I was reminded that this is not about me. This is about all of the people who I serve. And that morning, as I was preparing for my day, the names Dom, David, Tyler, Tierra, my siblings, came into my heart, like in a really intense way. And right before I stepped on that stage, I said their names because I asked the question. And whether it's God, spirit, or universe, I was provided an answer. And on that day, I went and gave the most powerful talk I've ever given in my life. It was such a beautiful reminder to me why I do this and who I serve and what the mission is. 
in that moment I needed help. And there was no one in the room except me and whatever else is out and within the universe. And I said, just give me something. And that was this really beautiful, profound moment. I love that. You know, it's interesting how we sometimes are so cautious so we separate the way we want to language this connection to source because of religion or groups or organizations. But it's like we're just innately wired for this energy, aren't we? You just laid there and you're like, tell me. It's in that pause. It's in the silence. It's in the purity. And for me, my relationship with God is the relationship between the soul and God is light. That light, when it's super, super positive and pure, I got it. That's it. It's not Jewish. It's not Christian. It's not Mormon. But it's the way the energy of God's love and light touches you beyond your five senses. So as we move forward and we come close to our beautiful conversation, didn't you enjoy our time together? Yeah, I love these questions. I'm so enthralled by it. Thank you. Yeah. What's next for you? Yeah, the biggest thing that I'm working on right now is this idea of expansion through education. And I've created this group community coaching program because I recognize something, the most important catalyst in my healing journey that kind of helped me feel a part of more than just being alone was being in a group setting and being around other human beings where I could be seen and heard and understood and held with compassion and care and love and kindness and honesty and truth and light. And in that, I thought to myself, this is how I must serve people, by giving them the space to come together and just sharing what I've understood about the world. And so that's the biggest thing I'm focused on right now and giving people hope, just a touch, even if it's just a little bit to look at their lives and go, okay, when I'm ready, if it's not Michael, it's someone else who cares, it doesn't matter. But when I'm ready, someone will be there for me. And that's the thing that I was missing as a child someone to be there. And I feel both honored and called to serve in that way. Thank you for your service. And the fact that it's coming from your own life experiences makes it even more sincere and more genuine. Leave us with a website that we can listen to your podcast and keep up with you if it's possible. Yeah, absolutely. I'm everywhere on social media at Michael Unbroken. And you can find out everything at thinkunbroken.com. You are unbroken. Thank you, my brother. It's been a delight. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you so much. Mm, ditto. All right, everyone. I'm sure you've taken a lot away from my conversation with Michael Anthony, the best-selling author of Think Unbroken. What a beautiful way to look at yourself. I am not broken anymore. I don't care what you said I am and this and that. Every time somebody criticized you and told you, you're always like that. They're trying to break you because maybe they think they're broken too. But what if you start to think unbroken and then you start to listen to your deepest innermost self in your being? Can you imagine the kind of service can come out of you? Thank you for joining us on the next normal in collaboration with America Meditating Radio. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And I think we're here to learn to love each other the same. Lots of love, be well, and I'll see you really soon. Take care. I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.